0: Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we are going to begin our Sunday with the day of Pentecost, and then we're going to use the Scriptures for proper five. Now, I'm going to try to explain that to you. It's a little complicated. Now, remember, let's go back to Holy Week. That was the last week of Lent, and we had five Sundays in Lent, and then we had Holy Week, and at the end of Holy Week, Uh, We have the Holy Saturday where Jesus is buried, and then we begin a new week on Sunday with Easter Day, Easter Sunday, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, that's followed by a week of second Sunday of Easter, third Sunday of Easter, fourth Sunday of Easter, fifth Sunday of Easter, and sixth Sunday of Easter. So, on the sixth Sunday of Easter, At the end of the week, we celebrate on Thursday, Ascension Day. We we celebrate the ascension of Jesus Christ. So he is raised up into heaven. He ascends into heaven. And then he is seated at the right hand of God. Seated at the right hand of God. That's called the session. So Jesus is crucified on Friday. He's buried. He is resurrected early Sunday morning. Forty days from there, he ascends into heaven, and on the 50th day, the Holy Spirit comes down at what we call Pentecost, Pentecost, 50 days. Then we celebrate the seventh Sunday of Easter, and after the seventh Sunday of Easter that week, we have the day of Pentecost on Sunday. Now, the readings for the day of Pentecost are on your um, program. They're posted there for you. And if you see them, it says the eve of Pentecost, Exodus 19, and 1 Peter chapter 2, 4-10. through 10. Then it says the day of Pentecost, and we have Deuteronomy 16, Acts 4, and John 4. So you'll want to read those scriptures. Following those scriptures, as you'll see again on your post, or the readings from proper five in case you were wondering where these readings are coming from and we're going to talk about these uh, today from ecclesiastes in the old testament the book of ecclesiastes then we go into paul's letters to the galatians and we'll go from galatians chapter 4 chapter 5 and chapter 6 and then finally we continue our study of matthew we will be in matthew 15 through 17. now As we celebrate the day of Pentecost, we are celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven. Let's start with those scriptures very quickly. We go to Exodus 19, 3 through 8. Moses is... uh, Let's look at the first couple of verses. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they went from Rephidim... They entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Verse 3 of chapter 19. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is the rescue of the Israelites in the land of Goshen uh, from the captivity of Egypt, which was about 430 years. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So he went and spoke these words to them. God spoke to him these words, 16 to 20. On the, third, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Now remember that. The Lord descended in fire. When you go back and look at Acts chapter 2, which is the scriptures that we celebrate on the Sunday liturgical Day of Pentecost for worship on Sunday morning, you'll see the uh, notion of God coming with fire being present at the coming of the Holy Spirit. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So a very strong revelation of God and a very strong presence of God in Exodus chapter 19. And as you see, if you look ahead real quickly in Exodus 20, you'll see where Moses received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Now let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 10. 1 Peter is at the end of the Bible, after Hebrews and after James. 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. And so he talks about who Jesus is and how important he is. He quotes a couple of, uh, of Old Testament verses. The stone the builders rejected has, has become the capstone, the stone that makes men stumble and a rock that makes them fall. You are a chosen people, verse 9, chapter 2 of 1 Peter, a a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people belonging to God. And so, once you were not a people, now you are a people. Now, one of the things that happens at Pentecost is that God is forming the church. This is the beginning of the church. Again, like I've said repeatedly in this um, program, Christ has died. Christ has been resurrected. Christ has ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God. And now the Holy Spirit comes down and he's going to lead them and empower them. He's going to bring them together as one body. And that's eventually going to be called the church. Now on the day of Pentecost, we have Deuteronomy 16, as you see in your post, Deuteronomy 16. You'll want to look at that scripture and Acts chapter four. Let's look at Acts chapter four, beginning at the 18th verse. He says, they called him again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and Paul replied, judge for yourselves, whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Verse 23 to 33. And so again, Peter and John go back to their people. They report what is going on. Now, this has happened after Acts chapter 2. Obviously, we're in Acts chapter 4. And so what happened with Jesus in his resurrection and what happened at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down and they spoke in other tongues and Paul, uh, Peter preached, Paul hadn't come into the picture yet, Peter preached and 3,000 were saved on that day. Peter is recounting what God had done, not only in Acts chapter 3 when he spoke about the healing of the crippled person, but also what God had done in Acts chapter 2. It's very, very, very powerful. Look at verse uh, 31 of uh, Acts chapter 4. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now we see the apostles and the leaders um, of Christ, we see them being emboldened by the Holy Spirit. We see the presence of the Holy Spirit in them. And the book of Acts particularly is about the leadership and the guidance and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as God begins to build his church through Peter and John, and as we'll see Paul and Barnabas and Titus and lots of other figures. Finally, for this, uh, this posting on the day of Pentecost, John chapter 4. Let's go to John chapter 4, 19 to 26. This is the Samaritan woman. She says in verse 19, Sir, I see you're a prophet or Fathers worshiped on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. And then he says in verse 24, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then she says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Who is God? He worshiped Worship him in spirit and in truth. You cannot see him like you can see Christ because Christ in his incarnation assumed human flesh. And so we see the coming of the Lord. We see the coming of God who is going to reveal himself in a powerful way at Pentecost and is going to bring us to himself. And so Jesus early on in John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman is helping her to understand who he is and who God Almighty is. Well, now we turn to the scriptures that, are again, are in your post, and we are going to look at Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. Wisdom literature. You may not be too familiar with Ecclesiastes. I hope you are. But in your lectionary reading, we want to read these texts, and this is from Ecclesiastes 6, 1 through 12. Now, what you're going to find is Ecclesiastes is very on, honest about admitting that the things of this earth really aren't that important. They're really not that significant. I have seen, for example, he writes in verse one, I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on man. God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing his heart desires, but God does not enable him to enjoy them, and a stranger enjoys them. the said instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. So what the writer to uh, the uh, Ecclesiastes is trying to figure out, he's trying to figure out what's important, what's significant. And he's looking at a lot of things that are going on around him and he's finding out that they're not that significant. Now, remember in wisdom literature, we're looking mostly at three books, the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Job. And they all three do different things are quite quite extraordinary verse uh, chapter 7 he says it is better to heed for example in verse 5 it is better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools verse 12 wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter but the advantage of knowledge is this that wisdom preserves the life of its possessor so what he's saying is is the importance of wisdom importance of wisdom And as you'll read this very somewhat enigmatic text sometimes because it's kind of confusing. Again, you'll want to look if you have a study Bible at your notes and to see how that helps you. But just again, read it, and you're going to hear different nuances to the subject of everyday living and how God sees the importance of our everyday living. Okay? What the comparisons and contrasts to that are. On Tuesday, we're looking at Ecclesiastes 8.14 to 9.10. Eight fourteen 14 to 9, 10. Let me read a couple of verses there. Um, verse 16. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and observed man's labor on earth, his eyes not seeing sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. That's, that's something philosophically to think about, existentially, if you will, to think about. Let's look at chapter 9. Look at what he says in verse 3. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil. And there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. So he sees the futility of man. He sees how sinful we actually are. And he's showing that afterwards, you just die. So what's the point? What's the point? What's the point of your life? What is significant? What has value in your life? It's a, again, a great question to ask. Chapter 11, chapter 11, verses nine to twelve, fourteen. Be happy young man, verse nine, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the desires of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but I know for all these things, God will bring you to judgment you're still going to be judged. You're going to be judged as to what you're going to do with your life on an everyday basis. So think about what you're doing. Think about what it means in relationship to God. Think about what God is saying to you. Okay? So enjoy Ecclesiastes. Uh, It's a very profound reading. Now, you might want to read uh, the last couple of verses. So we continue with Ecclesiastes 11.9 to 12.14. And look at the last two verses. They are two of the best verses in the Bible, and they're in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Who would have thunk it? Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. You've heard me speak. I've analyzed this from lots of different perspectives. Here's the conclusion. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man, that's quite a statement. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring, verse 14, every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And that pretty much sums it up pretty good. Fear God. Take God seriously. Listen to what God says. This is why we do the lectionary to give to encourage you to read the scriptures, to encourage you to fear God. To con- Uh, encourage you to do what God tells you to do, to know what God wants you to do, and then to pray that you and I will do it. Fear God, keep his commandments. You don't know his commandments unless you read them. Find out what he wants you to do and how he wants you to behave, how he wants you to act. And God is going to bring every deed into judgment, every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil, meaning we're going to be judged at the end for what we do. So it's important to know what is right or wrong. It is important to keep it. It's important to do what God says. Very good book, Ecclesiastes. I hope you enjoy it. Now, in Galatians, we have a problem. We have a problem because the Galatians are not listening to what Paul is saying. And Paul is very disturbed by that. You have to remember that in the 13 letters that Paul wrote, sometimes things were going pretty well. But oftentimes, he was answering questions and solving problems in the community that was writing him, or sometimes he would go there and respond to their problems, or he would send an an emissary or send one of his uh, buddies to go and ascertain what's going on, and they would come back and he would respond to them, and then they would take a letter back to him that was penned by Paul. And so the Galatians are not doing what Paul says, so we are in the middle of a conversation in chapter 4. We're looking at chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, and he talks about his concern for the Galatians in chapter 4, and then talks about Hagar and Sarah. Hagar and Sarah, that's all the way back to Genesis, the middle of Genesis, the first part of Genesis, having to do with Abraham. Remember Abraham's wife, Sarah? And remember Abraham's maidservant, Hagar? And remember that Hagar and Abraham had Ishmael? And Hagar, I mean, and Sarah and Abraham had Isaac, the child of the promise, whereas Ishmael was not the child of the promise. And so he is discussing that whole uh, series of events there in chapter 4. In chapter 5, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, it is for freedom, verse 1, that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so he's concerned about them because they are acting more like slaves than free people. That's what chapter 4 is about in chapter 3. Why are you people becoming enslaved all over again? Christ has set us free. Verse 5, by faith of chapter 5, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself Through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in and kept you from obeying the truth? Verse 7, chapter 5. What kind of persecution does not come from the one who calls you? A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whatever it may be. So he's going back and forth with them and trying to urge them to listen to what he's saying, because the path that they are presently taking is not the path of the Lord. You will call, brothers, in verse 13, to be free. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another with love. Then he talks about the leading of the Holy Spirit at the end of chapter 5. And he lists the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law. The other thing that's going on in um, the letter to the Galatians is the what to do with the law and what to do with the freedom of the spirit and so they go back and forth with that what is the Old Testament promise Old covenant Old Testament covenant promise what's the New Testament New covenant promise? those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passion and desires verse 24. Chapter 6, carry each other's burden, verse 2. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. You talk about the law of Christ, love one another. You talk about the law of Christ, carry each other's burdens. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Test your own actions, verse 4. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. Do not be deceived, verse 7. God will not be mocked. A man A woman reaps what he or she sows. The one who sows to please please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Don't indulge your sinful nature. Listen to the Spirit. And so we had this tête-à-tête in the book of Galatians between sowing to the flesh, what the people of Galatia wanted out of their flesh, which comes to nothing versus being sown in the Spirit. Remember, we started with the day of Pentecost on Sunday, and now as we go through this section of Galatians, we reintroduce the Spirit and see how the Spirit, we see how the Spirit works in our lives. Finally, in verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 15, in our uh, work on uh, the Gospels, we go to Matthew chapter 15, and we see that Jesus is doing miracles. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's doing miracles, he's doing nature miracles, he's healing people, he's raising people from the dead, he is doing uh, outstanding ministry in terms of teaching them the truths of the kingdom of God. As we begin on chapter 15, 21 to 28, we see him healing a a woman's daughter from uh, demonic possession, Long distance, what does that mean? She's somewhere else, he heals her, casts out the devil, long distance. This is the power of Jesus, extraordinary, extraordinary. And her daughter was healed that very hour. Then we have the uh, feeding of the 4,000. Remember we had the feeding of the 5,000, then then he feeds 4,000 and that's just men. That does not include women and children. So the numbers are very large. And in this particular one, he goes down, he brings the the lame and the blind and the crippled and the dumb and many others. He lays them at their feet. He heals them. Verse 31, They people were amazed. He says he has compassion for them. In verse 32, where are we going to get enough bread to feed this crowd? Seven loaves and a few small fish. And then they have some leftover. Just an extraordinary miracle. We continue on with the Pharisees and the Sadducees incredulously asking for a sign. They're asking for a sign and they just saw a sign. The feeding of the 4,000 was an extraordinary sign of the coming of the Messiah. In 13 to 20, we have, Who do you say that I am? It's a great question to all of us as you watch this program or listen to this uh, program. Who do you say that Jesus is? And that's a question he asks all of us. Who do you say that he is? Well, Some people say it's John the Baptist, and some people say it's Elijah, and some people say it's Jeremiah. But who do you say? So he asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answers, right, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So my question to all of you is, who do you say that Jesus is? Jesus predicts, predicts his death in verses 21 to 28. And then in chapter 17, we have the transfiguration, which precedes... His death and resurrection, which shows us his glory. So if you just take the scriptures in your lectionary this week from the Gospels, from Matthew 15 to the beginning of Matthew 17, you see Jesus doing all kinds of amazing things. And then you have to ask yourself the question, who do you say that he is? What do you believe? Do you believe this is true? Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you follow him? Do you believe in him? Or is this false information? This is just unbelievable. Couldn't have happened. Well, you've got a great taste this week from uh, the beginning of the day of Pentecost, through the book of Ecclesiastes, through the problems in Galatia and some wonderful scriptures about the Spirit of God. And then as we continue our journey with Jesus, he just continues to do amazing things by showing us who he is so that when he asks us, who do you say that I am? You're able to answer it well. God bless you. And next week, we'll be looking at more scriptures from the Word of God and the daily lectionary. Have a wonderful week.